Put the JavaScript developers to bed. The adults are about to talk. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> it's PHP Ugly, episode 100. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, hey, introductions, right? right? Appreciate it. Or is that, was that your intro, or was that not your intro? That, that was not his intro. We're not starting that way. Welcome to PHP Ugly episode 100. I'm John Congdon, and with, with me as always is Eric Van Johnson. Hey, Eric. Hello, hello. And Tom Rideout. Hey, happy 100. How's it going, guys? 100. Happy 100. Man, I feel so old. <laughs> it's because we are. <laughs> Eric, I do it every week. Do you like the van I, when I say Eric Van Johnson? I do. I, I do like, like the van. I like it it's, too. Uh, it's, it's a funny story, actually, because my father worked for the government, and he was always very official at filling out forms. And He was like one of the only parents that ever filled out the middle name. And so whenever I'd go to like school or like baseball camp, everybody assumed my last name was Van Johnson because my dad would fill out my middle name as Van. Hated it, hated it as a child. It drove me nuts that he he kept doing that. But as an adult, it turned out almost every organization I worked at had another Eric Johnson. So I ended up in, you know, taking on the name Van, Van Johnson as my last name, just to differentiate myself. And almost r- right before my children were, were born, I almost legally changed my last name to Van Johnson because um, I, I even gone to my father and said, hey, would you be offended if I changed my last name to Van Johnson? And my dad was like, your last name's Johnson. I mean, it's not that special of a name. If you want to change it to anything else, that's perfectly fine with me. So, uh... But unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, my wife and I were already married, so we we were starting the process of changing our last name to Van Johnson, and we realized how expensive it was. Then we ended up having kids, and by that time it was like, ah, just forget it. I'll just I'll continue to go by Van Johnson, but we'll just keep the last name Johnson. So so that was a long way of saying I'm perfectly happy with it. Thank you. Well, while, while we're on the topic, do you know where Van comes from? How'd you get the middle yes. name Van? Yeah, uh, my mom told me um, I'm named after I'm named after two people. One of them was. Uh, Eric, or Van Johnson was an actor. So the, uh, Van Johnson was some actor back when my parents were were young. And Eric was had some other relation to us. I, f- I forget where Eric came from, but va- the Van part comes from some actor back in the day. I never quite understood parents that used actors to name their kids. Yeah, yeah. I think they'd be a little bit more creative than that. Because we had some good names in the family, but eh, whatever. I'm fine with it. It worked out well for you. In the, for the most part, it doesn't work out, but I, <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah. All right. What have you guys been up to? I've been going through history, and I'm like, man, we've been doing this for two years. Like, in my mind, I felt like that was a really long time. And I, I'm like, okay, where was Laravel two years ago? Where was PHP two years ago? You know what? Not that much has changed. Like, it, it really <laughs> hasn't been that long. I, I thought about like we're all we're all in the same job. We're all pretty much working on the same projects. I mean, nothing's really changed. It, it's, it's nothing. Not, it's not really as special as we feel it is. I think that might be more depressing than you intended it to be. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got a point. For once, I agree with Thomas. <laughs> it doesn't happen often, right? <laughs> I'm I'm prepping for my trip. I'm uh, leaving on Sunday morning. I'm super excited in the constant panic attack kind of way. I know you're coming nice. back to San Diego for a little bit, huh? Yeah. A little vacation. Yeah. Back on the home turf. Yeah, we're trying to figure out what the plans are, and, and as far as I can tell, it's just get away from the kids. <laughs> 
Oh, they're not. They're not coming with you. They are, but the grandparents both live. Well, all four grandparents live in San Diego, so there's going to be a lot of uh, shifting of responsibility. How did you get away from San Diego with all the grandparents here? It was really a stupid call. <laughs> For that reason, <laughs> For that reason yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah. It was. Is there is there any chance you may come back? Is is that is that a possibility? No. No. Oh, you're no. There was a pretty big pause there. <laughs> I, I was I was going to say I got a, I got a new me. conspiracy theory for you, Eric. Thomas is What's coming this? back to look for property. <laughs> there property. You go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can afford property in San Diego. I know. We thought you were going to be here this week, so we could record this episode live. Didn't yeah, quite work I out. screwed that up. I'm I'm bad at calendars and times and schedules and things like that. That's why we're PHP developers. Never get those time zones correct. Yeah, I'm a carbon developer now. <clears throat> oh, is that your new thing? No, I just don't use PHP time stuff anymore. It's all carbon. Oh, oh. Eric's true. been like that yeah. for a long time. Yeah, totally. So we have Eduardo in, in chat right now, and I, I actually have to give the man a shout-out. So I was bitching and moaning last week about the fact that Google Reader was going away, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and I was looking at other readers. and Dig I reader. even went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I said Google. Dig, the Dig Reader, yeah. I even went to Feedly because Thomas had recommended it, and I was kind of coming to grips with, okay, it looks like I'm going to have to use Feedly because I can't really find anything else that feels right. And lo and behold, Eduardo pings me in Slack and says, hey, have you heard of, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, I'll spell it for you, or I'll try to pronounce it, InnoReader, I-N-O reader in o reader he says have you heard of indo reader i'm like nope and i went over to indoreader.com i'm like perfect this is exactly what i need so i'm now an indo reader fan i've already is moved it, all my dig stuff so are you saying i and o but you, you're you seem to be pronouncing a d in there yeah you're, you're throwing a random d in there in in no in no in I N O reader. Okay. In no reader. In no. How would you pronounce that? In a reader. In a reader. Yeah, you, you just kept putting a D in there for some reason. I, th- that's what I was going to say. I, I wanted to say I know reader, but I'm like, that would be a bad name for a for RSS reader. So I'm pretty sure it's not I know reader. <laughs> in a reader is not a great name either, but whatever. It works. I'm happy with it. It's my new RSS reader. I'm still happy with Feedly. Thank you, Eduardo. I I do appreciate it. I'm still happy with no RSS reader. I don't know how you keep up with all this stuff with no RSS reader. Look at it. Look at has. Look at his cards. He has it in his cards today. How he keeps up? Exactly. This is true. <laughs> no cards. No cards. I prefer when we just one. chat. I prefer when we just chat. I don't need cards to chat. So Eric, you mentioned it earlier, but you you sort of drove right over it you edited the podcast this week yeah 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 i did did i did i say that on, on air I don't think no I you said it you air. said it before no, you said it before Ian. no you said you were yeah, editing yeah. the podcast right right before, I mean, before maybe that wasn't recording. on air yes but yes i did edit last week's podcast it, it was a throwback it's been a while since i've edited a php ugly podcast it wasn't so bad so it was uh monday afternoon and my desktop computer which i do all my editing work on literally exploded it li- literally Literally exploded. Wait, okay. you don't live in Austin. How, how did that happen? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> that was a little... So, my computer blew up. In diagnosing it, I mean, I, I knew immediately what it was, because the only part of a computer that usually blows up is the power supply. But uh, taking it apart, I discovered that my power supply was woefully underpowered for what I was running 
and was about 10 years old. Wow. It, uh, it let all the magic smoke out and permanently emotionally scarred one of my cats, who <laughs> is now afraid of computers altogether. But it was, it was scary. I mean, it was five or six very loud bangs. Capacitors don't go out weekly. They, they go out like an M80. And sitting at my desk, calmly watching YouTube, sudden explosions were very uncomfortable. But I, I managed to go out to Best Buy and pick up a replacement power supply and have it back up and running the same day. There you go. So you could have you, you edited it. That whole yeah, time, I, just, you... I just didn't mention that part. Well, I mentioned it on the Slack channel, and you didn't notice, so I figured you already had it yeah, handled. No, I, I tune out about 115 every day. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done at that point. See, I remember build, building machines when I was like 10, and then I grew up and was able to buy machines and don't need to build them anymore. <laughs> yeah, and some, for some reason you choose to buy Macs. Your, your story reminds me of when I was younger, like 18, 17, 18 years old, and... I, I, for a brief moment, thought I was going to make a living installing car stereos. And I installed a car stereo in my Suzuki Samurai. And I'm driving to work one day. And my wife just says, hey, what's that smoke? And all of a sudden, like, <laughs> my car stereo is, like, sparking. I mean, I'm doing, like, 60 miles an hour on the Beltway in D.C. And, my, like, I look down and these sparks are coming out the back of my car stereo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I did something wrong there. <laughs> we, uh, I managed to pull Back it out way. and pull over safely. Every, everybody was okay, but uh, th- I think that might have been the last stereo I tried installing myself. That's why you can't put a thermostat in your house. That would be, that, yeah, that 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 kind of all ties together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the worst power supply failure I've had. I've had one back in the 90s that actually blew flames out the back of the computer, like a good three <laughs> or four feet of flame. Um, but that, you know, that's the good old days when there wasn't a, a regulatory board for power supplies and computers. <laughs> oh, boy. Anybody doing anything fun at work this week? I did want to mention, uh, last week I brought up BuildKite and Ghost Inspector, and Eric and I were talking this morning, and he didn't quite understands one of the things I was talking about. The the thing that we liked about BuildKite for this client is their setup is very legacy. They still use a, a shared database for most of their development machines. BuildKite makes it nice where they put an agent on the server and it's a nice intermediary step to getting a full build process. That was lacking last episode. It was a start there and then you can then you could do a full build in a container or another VM where you're building it from scratch. Yeah, I did give that. I, I did start down the path of Ghost Inspector for another one of our clients who, again, has a bunch of legacy. And, and that's what brought this full circle for us. And when, as I was kind of configuring it for this other client with legacy code, the whole build kite piece started to make sense to me. Like, I didn't, I, I wasn't understanding why John felt like it was such an important part of that workflow that he was describing last week. And I'm like, and then, of course, today I'm like, all right. Now it makes sense. Now I see why you have to have that, this and that. But yeah, we're, I'm liking the Ghost Inspector. I I think uh, we, we built some tests for an, for another client, and uh, I think we're going to look at using it. It's a, it's a good kind of middle point from having actual tests written in code and you know ha- making sure like just some of the basic UI stuff works. The really nice thing about it is the, for the tests that we built for this other client, we actually had the sales guys build the test. 
So the developers, which really made a lot of sense when I thought about it, because developers would have built the test how a developer thinks. But I reached out to the salesperson. I'm like, hey, here's the tool. It's very easy to record your actions. Go through a, a couple of scenarios and build some tests for us. And the, the sales guy had like three tests built in like 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's perfect. So Nice. So I want to I wanna jump into something. Well, unless, John, do you have... Uh, nope, go for it. That was, that was your week. Eric, what do, you, what do you have this week? No, that, that was pretty much me talking that whole time. So All right. <laughs> We got it. We got to talk about the thing that people are so over talking about right now. Okay. Uber killed a person. Okay, that's uh, th- that headline doesn't really work there. Not not exactly. No. Uber Uber the company killed a person. Dramatic headline. No. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Yes. That's question one. Dramatic headline. Who did kill that person? I think it's, it was an unfortunate accident. I mean, I think. Have you seen the video from the the car, the dash cam? I have. I have right. So that 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 person was getting hit regardless. Absolutely right. So it it, it was it was un- so the the big thing the, the 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 piece you're leaving out is this was a self driving Uber car. It wasn't just an Uber car. It was self driving. Now there was a co pilot in the driver's seat, um, but again, if you see the video, the person almost just appears in front of the car. I mean, it's a it's a dark road. They're they're crossing in a in a in a black area of the uh of the road there's like hardly any lights and they're facing facing the wrong way walking a bicycle not at a crosswalk it was a very tragic accident and and the fact that the the fact that it was a self-driving car i i think made very little difference in that scenario i think that's that scenario wouldn't have played out any differently had a normal person been driving i mean there was a there was a normal person in the car they they couldn't right avoid it either and he right. tried to react. He, you can see that he stomps on the pedal to try and stop the vehicle, but at that point, it's too late. And he's not exactly paying attention to the to the road at the time. But still, it's... but it, but of course, it, it it gets sensationalized because it was a self driving car that killed a person. It's like well, no, there are big implications though. So Uber, in, as a result of this, Uber shut down or temporarily suspended their self driving car studies. Right. And Ford also did in response. Right. Uh, and there are a lot of questions that are going to come up. So the person's family, are they going to sue Uber? I'm sure, I'm sure they will. Why, why wouldn't they? Right. And in something that if, if this were a criminal negligence case, would there be a person that they could arrest? And that would mm-hmm. theoretically be the test driver should have been paying more attention. Even if it wasn't a self-driving car, they would sue Uber anyway because Uber's got the money. They're not going to go after the driver individually. Right. If they sure. could prove that it was somebody driving for Uber, they're going to go after the company first. Well, one of the things that's come up a lot before this happened is the trolley problem. Do you guys know the trolley problem? Yes. I'm not familiar with the trolley problem. What's the, the where, trolley problem? That's the one where there's one person on one track... Five people on another, and you have to direct direct the trolley. You don't have to. You can direct the trolley. So the trolley is on the track with five people, and it's coming up to a switching station. And you can either choose inaction, which would kill the five people, or choose action, which would kill one person but save the other five. Mm-hmm. And this is a classic ethical dilemma, because are you responsible for inaction is one of the questions. And this has been brought up a lot in machine learning courses in colleges because the question is what is an uber supposed to do 
in that scenario? What is a self-driving car supposed to do when it encounters this problem? Is it supposed to choose to continue going forward so that it doesn't intentionally take the life of someone else? Or, you know, how does it resolve this? And there's, there's many different variations on this as well. So the five people on the track are all convicts. And the one person who isn't is a great person who contributes their right. time to I, I, get, I get that, that idea. Kind of yeah, so yeah. that's never, this kind of thing has never been tested on how does a car make this decision. So, yeah, we have the video footage, but we don't have the logic path that the car took before it hit the woman. So it could be, it could be absolutely possible that it decided to hit the woman to save the person in the car. So if it had determined, I like I like where you're going. In, in this case, I'm fairly confident that's that wasn't the scenario. But I, I like where where that conversation is going because you know typically you would think that you know what would the car do? Well, the car would try to avoid, and if it couldn't avoid, it would just stop, right? I mean that that would be kind of the the, the general logic you, you you would think it would take. But what if it couldn't stop? What if it was in a scenario where stopping wasn't an option for it? You know how how does that play out? Again, I don't think it applies to this because if you saw the road was pretty much empty, this person just appears out of nowhere. The car could have stopped. The car could have easily swerved and, and missed them had it seen and processed the fact that there was a person there. I mean, it will be it will be interesting to see what what logic the car was processing at that time because you know its its vision is an art vision. It it should have been picking up you know some infrared or something. Well, these cars use lidar to detect objects in front of them, and the fact that it didn't is question number one: is why didn't it? But then, if it did detect the object in front of it, but it also detected that any action other than braking as hard as possible would put the driver at risk. This is this is a common question again with self-driving cars: is who does it? Who is it obligated to keep safe? The passengers or the person on the street. I actually saw on on the Today Show they actually had a whole segment on that, like having a some sort of dial on the in the car to protect outside life or protect my own life. And <laughs> really, yeah. And they brought up a good point. Like the host Savannah Guthrie at the point, at that time was saying that if her kid is in the car, she's going to preserve her own life. But mm-hmm. maybe if her kid's not in the car, then it's she would preserve other people's lives. Yeah. So, so there's so many factors that go into it. And that is an equation that is in these self-driving cars. The, right now, the car isn't just following a GPS coordinate. It's tracking everything it does in a reactionary way. And it is programmed to react to things in the road depending on the safety of the driver. And the, the question in this case is, did it hit the woman on purpose because that was the safest way to resolve the event? For the driver's sake, right? And, and, and again, I, th- I think it can still be applied to if if it was a person driving and you felt that there was no option, you had no option, and and unfortunately you you had to hit this person. I mean, it's kind of the, the same same concept. And, and again, we we get back to the conversation of how many accidents have occurred with uh, self driving cars versus non-self-driving cars with within these same parameters and is it is it really exponentially safer with self-driving cars where we accept incidents when they happen and just say this is unfortunate we we're going to we're going to do some diagnostics to it and ideally we're going to get to a stage and i totally understand why uber and ford reacted the same the, the way that they, they did in saying 
okay, shut everything down. Let's figure out what went wrong. But ideally, we're going to get to a scenario where when an accident like this happened, that's that that won't be the reaction. It'll be that's unfortunate. Let's let's examine, but keep keep everything else moving forward. Sure, but is there going to be a legal precedence where they basically download the data logs and decide fault from a collection of data? I mean, is, yeah, I, lose... I could totally see that. I mean, why, why, I, why wouldn't we? I could easily see a future where if somebody gets hit by a self-driving car, they simply pull up the logs that say all the sensors were functional and then blame the pedestrian. And now you've got a person who thinks that they are in the right, but the system has denied them any kind of due process because they're analyzing such a massive amount of data. Tom, Tom goes, Tom goes doom and gloom, boy. I mean, that, that, I, that guy had, that guy has not, no other option doom but to go doom and gloom. It's not doom and gloom. We were talking, if this person, if this person's family sues Uber, then it's going to set a legal precedence that doesn't put blame on a person, but on technology. Yeah. But if, if they can prove that that person was crossing in the wrong section of the road they're not at a crosswalk they're somewhere they shouldn't be isn't that like a, a good case for uber i mean and, and i think i mean i think tom is right in the sense that this can help set precedence but i think what that precedence is going to be is how evidence is is gathered i mean you, you can't just take the word of a company's car that that could t- that could in theory be tampered with and say okay this is this is the truth yes where where I think you're correct I think some precedence could be set in this case but I think that precedence is going to be okay how do we how do we handle evidence collection in these scenarios moving forward I am a little bit more optimistic than you are Thomas where you don't say yeah. <laughs> But but I agree. I mean, you know, the, these these are these are questions that are going to have to be answered, and we're going to have to decide what these processes are because this isn't changing. This isn't going away. Now, the good news is the way I feel about it is we're still we're like in beta version of this whole self driving car. I mean, ideally, we're going to get to the stage where there's so many of these things on the road. And they're all communicating with each other. And, you know, a car that 20 feet in front of this car says, you know, hey, I'm passing a bike on my right-hand side that, that has a, you know, 80% probability of being in your path when you get behind me. Be aware. I, I think eventually these cars will start communicating with each other and even become safer. Or, or driving down the freeway and one car kind of announces to the cars around it, I need to get to the next exit help me help me get over three lanes in the next quarter of a mile and all the other cars start to automatically position themselves so this one car can get over i think i mean this You're technology, talking about an internet of cars <laughs> we're we're just we're just at the at the birth of this of this whole 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 thing i mean and it's pretty impressive where it's at already i think one year two year five years down the road it's just it's going to be on a whole nother level as long as it doesn't get held up by things like this well both ford and uber have their timeline for production automated vehicles as 2020 so i I totally believe it yeah i mean uh the teslas are almost there right i mean they're they're kind of tesla's tesla's are there but they've shifted the liability by saying don't press this button yeah there's there is a self-driving mode on the tesla yeah Mm -hmm. there's a self-driving mode on the tesla that you can enable but 
when you do, it says you accept all liability. The car is not liable. I swear to God, you're signing a contract by doing this. Don't do this. Oh, I, I, I don't think that's going to change. Especially if you own own the vehicle. I mean, I get I get the thing on my car now. Every time I start the car up, gives me a warning of GPS. I say, uh, just so you know, uh, don't use this uh, when you're using GPS. Uh, just you know, pay attention to the road. Don't look at this. And and that that warning comes up on my system every time I start my car. So yeah, that. That sort of thing won't change. I think it was important. I think it's important to bring up in in our podcast because I see so many fluff pieces that just just cover the self driving car kills pedestrian. But there are a lot of for for developers. There are a lot of implications in this that affect us very directly. You know, decisions that we have to make as to behavior of things we program and and whether or not. It makes a decision that affects life negatively or positively. Yeah. We've actually we've actually helped members of SDPHP that were in military contracting, so they're they're writing code for military purposes that said, "Hey, I want to get out of this. Can you help me find a job out of the what they call the baby killing sector?" <clears throat> so, luckily, we've been able to help help those people find jobs and and get them out of that. Yep, way to bring it down, John. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Before we move on too far, you brought up the the trolley problem. Have you actually seen Mindfield with that Mike? episode? Yeah, I only got halfway through. Really? What, what's Mindfield? What's so Mindfield Mind- is a show by the guy from Vsauce, Michael from Vsauce, and My- Mindfield is one of the YouTube Red um, series that they did. And the, the episode I'm talking about, they actually implemented this whole trolley problem. Yeah, in a terrifying way. So, base, <laughs> they they put people in a situation where, I forget, they're interviewing for something and, and they get put in with a train conductor who is sitting in a building and he's responsible for switching this one train. And, you know, they, they go and on green screen, they, they have five people on one track, uh, workers that have headphones on, so, whoops, sorry, have headphones on so that you can't, they can't hear the train supposedly and on the other track there's one worker and they're looking oh, in the opposite you're direction. Kidding and, me. And the the train op the the not train conductor, but the person operating the switch has to step out for a phone call. And that person the person on the show is like in the situation and they're like, Oh my God, what do I do? It's fascinating. <sighs> well the Absolutely first half of the episode was them discussing the legal implications of scarring some test subject emotionally. That, for life. <laughs> exactly what I was just thinking of. What do they do when they traumatize these well, individuals? So, so they came up with all sorts of tests to, to find. Like they weeded out people that were susceptible to uh, this traumatic uh, issue. And so they, they tried finding the right candidates. But it was still fascinating to watch. Yeah, it's bizarro. So why'd you uh, only I gotta, I gotta finish it. Why'd you stop at half? Out of curiosity. Uh... I had my own trolley problem with three children all fighting with each other simultaneously in my house. Ah, yeah, that, that's one of the shows I really like on there. That's the scenario I always go through. It's like, if there was a metal, medical procedure that could be done that would kill one of my children but save, like, a million other people, would I do that? Like, would I, would I allow one of my kids to be killed to save a whole society or a whole, a whole civilization or something? And, like, the whole trolley thing i i feel like i could do i would i would i could live with myself i wouldn't be happy but i i could i could 
make that decision. But like, if it was my kid, like if my kid were, was one of the people on the track, and there was like fifty thousand people on the other track, it would be very difficult for me. I I I I, I have I have oh, a hard only time Emily works for Diego Dev, right? <laughs> Yes. Point. Yes, I have twins, so I could technically lose one and, and you know be okay. But yeah, you've got a copy, yeah. a backup. <laughs> that's just that's just t- tells you the sys admin I am, man. Even 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 in creating children, I create backups. So <laughs> I have redundancy everywhere. <laughs> Built-in redundancy. I'm sure the kids would love to hear that. Yeah, and they turn twenty next week. Holy cow! I, I I don't know what to do with myself. Weep openly. I'm just I'm I'm beside myself. I I don't even don't even know what to do. I mean I don't know how, like how how did I become this man? How did how did I become this old person now with with adult children? It's weird. It's a weird weird thing. Eric, you've got something here I don't know anything about. Do I? You do. Oh, I don't know I'm... anything about it either. It it, it appeared <laughs> on my. Uh... All right, moving on then. Apparently. Uh... The city of Atlanta had their had their systems ransomware. Um, this just happened. I, I, from what I'm understanding, it just happened today. I, I, it's popping up all over all over my RSS feeds and in my Twitter feeds. But yeah, the city of Atlanta had some sort of ransomware situation, and uh, it ain't looking good. Everybody in the everybody and their mother is involved. So I've had a, had situations with that. Have either of you been subjected to ransomware? Oh yes, really. Oh really? Not me personally, but me as a friendly neighbor of the most unfortunate family I've ever known. Oh, um, why would why would somebody go after? It? Yeah, all right. Go ahead, tell us your story. Yeah, this is about three years ago. My neighbors, who have two children, with both of them have incredible medical difficulties. And then the husband and wife both have incredible medical difficulties. And they got a encrypto ransomware on their computer, which had all of their medical records and all of their billing and all of their everything. No backups, no nothing. And they asked me if there was anything that I could do. And this is the first I'd seen ransomware ever in the wild. And it's pretty crazy. Every every file still exists, but it's just a text file of garbled everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's all encrypted. Um, and when you try to open everything, every file, every every extension is associated with opening up the browser and saying, "Here's how you get your stuff back." Mm-hmm. I managed after three days of work to get a decryption key for their computer without having to pay the fifty bitcoin or whatever it was. Really? Yeah, and and I actually got all their stuff back, but it's nasty. I mean, it really works its way into your system. So how, what did you do to get the decryption key? So I, I already follow a lot of security people, and this was one of the first ransomware attacks that was really prevalent out there. After a couple days, uh, Krebs on Security posted a a way of identifying which version you had and then gave you a link to download an executable that generated a decryption key and decrypted every file. Wow, nice. It was it was fortunate that there's security researchers out there doing this work, a, but it's not that easy anymore. No, a, a place I used to work for was hit by it and they actually paid the ransom. And at the time I 
I'm a, I think it was one Bitcoin, but it was like five hundred dollars. Yeah, and it was a it was a couple years ago, and luckily paying it, they got the decryption key and were were able to get all their files back. When they asked me about it, I'm like, I have no clue. Like, what if you pay them, then you don't get that? What if you're just giving them money yeah. at that point? Yeah, I've I've heard of ransomware that pretends to encrypt but actually just destroys everything. But I've never actually seen it in the wild, and I don't think there's a lot of value in propagating that because I think if you get a large system, for example, the city of Atlanta, they want to prove that you could decrypt one thing before paying to decrypt everything. And I believe the software is all still the same. It's just the the algorithm has been slightly tweaked to be much more difficult to to guess. But yeah, it's it's nasty. That'd be that'd be interesting because I'm assuming they also want a a big. Uh high-profile case like that to show that the ransomware people will give you the decryption key so that other people will then pay to get that same data. Which is what happened in the most recent ransomware outbreak with the the leak of the NSA tool set. There was a ransomware that used uh, blue glass or blue tools or something like that. And the news openly covered the fact that if you paid them, you would get a decryption key, but the domains that were running had been shut down, so you couldn't pay them. Hmm. Uh, and every once in a while, the domain would pop back up, someone would pay them and get their decryption key. And I knew a couple people who did pay to get their decryption key, but it's it's Wild West, man. Hey, Thomas, any new 3D printing stories? I am 3D printing something right now for the two of you guys. Really? Ooh. Yes. It's what, like a four-hour print, though. You'll see. I'm, I'll, I'll be bringing it to episode 101. Ah, that was not set up. I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've, I've got a little... I, I've been promising lots of things to lots of people and discovering that my 3D printer is very finicky and I can't print anything that I want to print yet. <laughs> so so I'm, printing, I'm printing some smaller scale stuff that I can give to my friends. I tell you, I, you gave me 3D printer envy, man. I, I was about to hit the buy button on a 3D it printer. It is so fun. It is so fun. Except we, God. except we're gonna when we buy one, we're not gonna buy one with to put together. That's See, right. That's yeah. the problem. No, 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 no. Putting it together, doing that hand assembly is the fun part. That's the educational part. It, no, if you're just I, I buying agree, a three D printer, but it takes so friggin' long. That's like not using a framework in PHP now. You know, because you no. really understand the underlyings <laughs> of the language. No, no. I'm gonna use the P. I'm gonna use a framework for for the foreseeable future, man. Yeah. No, understanding why, understanding the steps of your motor and the E steps and the micro steps understanding the z-axis problems that you can have and the the x and y axis stuff the belt tensions this stuff is so it is so fun it is such a perfect hobby because it sits in a corner just waiting for your attention and when you're bored you put on music and play with it no i agree well i do that anyway wait what What? when my kids are older (laughs) that'll be (laughs) with a box printer you don't get that fun i'm glad somebody else got that I was trying to just steamroll past it. When my kids are older, that would be a blast to be able to build a, a printer with them. But at three and a half, that's not going to be the case. It's so it's fun, though. Sitting it's, in the corner, and, pulsating, how much money did you spend on me? How much money did you spend on me? But once you build one, you realize that you would never pay for a pre-built one, even as an upgrade. Sure, you because you would just print that. your own upgrade. I used to build computers. I will never build another computer in my life either. Exactly. 
one of the most popular things that people 3D print is called is called the Hypercube, and it's a really high-end 3D printer for like three hundred dollars. So you're gonna print me a 3D printer? Is that what you're printing for, us, Tom? For three hundred for three hundred dollars? No. <laughs> you only pay two hundred for yours. Wait a second, that, that math doesn't work out. Exactly. That's the thing. Is if you know what you're doing. If you're a mechanic and you can build an engine from it's scratch, all about the then you can build a cheap engine. Uh, sorry, you're not making any sense. All right, moving on, John. What? Do you have a ledger? No, I went when I was trying to choose on a hardware wallet. It was between that and the Trezor, and I went Trezor. Which now that you bring it up, uh, did you see there's a uh, firmware update to that? I have. I, seen I just that. installed mine. Yep. Yeah, I installed mine today. Why do you ask, Thomas? I'm sorry, we, we stepped on your story there, Thomas. What's up? <laughs> what? A 15-year-old self-taught British programmer has discovered a fatal defect in the Ledger Nano S. What? There's a flaw in the program? Get out of here. It's not actually the program. It's a chip. So the Ledger Nano S is a hardware wallet for storing various cryptocurrencies. Very, very popular. And one of the things about it is that the secret key in the device is always secret. You cannot access it. This allows the device to be sold on third-party sites like Amazon, where you can trust that the person selling it didn't open it up, grab the secret key, and then seal it back up and send it to you. Well, that trust got breached because it turns out that that secret key gets passed to a chip that isn't secure, and this teenager's software simply plugs in, pulls the secret key out of the device, and then he's done. And I've seen a lot of stories before about young programmers and their so-called great technological advances that end up being debunked because it was just some attack that was old and well-known or something like that, and the media picked up on it. But in this case, uh, some very high-level security researchers took a look at it and said, oh yeah, he's, what he's doing is pretty innovative and, and efficient. That's that's very smart work. This is a pretty edge case. I mean, it's a it's a very specific device and a very specific kind of specialty of cryptocurrency. Well, it's one of essentially two options. It's right. basically the Ledger Nano S or the Trezor. Right. And the thing about the Ledger was that you could sell it on Amazon because no one could get the secret key. But okay, so somebody gets the secret secret key. And then sells it on Amazon, but th- that doesn't impact the person who's using it. They they need to get that device. They need to physically get in contact nope. with that device again. No, never again. No. Once Why? you have the secret key, then you have everything you need to pull money off of the chain. Because mm-hmm. remember, the the key, the ledger, just holds the secret key. Mm-hmm. That's all that's on it. Mm-hmm. All the money itself is still on the chain. So if I have John's secret key, whether or not he's got a ledger or a piece of paper, I've got access to his balance. Yep. So, so, so the, f- the, the fact that you have that physical device is irrelevant then at that point. Right. All it is is a key, a key store. So why do I have this physical device then? I, I'm confused. Because, because I, when, I, it's, I thought- when it's disconnected from the net, nobody has access to your secret key. Right. Your secret key lives in a chip that is very, very, very secure. Right. If you have your secret key on your computer and it's hacked, they got it. So in this scenario, though, if I had a ledger that had been compromised and then sold to me on Amazon, the fact that I have the physical ledger, you know, in a safe here in my house would be irrelevant. Right. Right. Exactly. Because even the owner of the ledger device can't get the secret key. It's all done automatically 
through a processor on board the chip that you have to authenticate through. So the secret key is never residing on the computer that it's on. It's never residing on the network or on a hard drive. It's, it's only ever on this one device. And when you transfer something to it, then you're saying, I'm putting money in this vault where the only place this secret key exists is on this drive. And the fact that somebody else has a secret key means that they can reach into the ledger and say, okay, I'm now this device. Give me, give me this money. Yep. Right. They can uh-huh. impersonate you immediately. So well, maybe, maybe I missed this. The person has to have access to the ledger device? Requires physical access to the ledger device, but it discloses just, the secret key. I just said oh, that. Oh. You said that that wasn't the case. No, no. Initially has access to the physical device. Oh, initially. Once, okay, yeah. Once yeah. they have the secret key, it's completely done. Yeah, so with so with the, the Trezor device, you have to put in your, your six-digit key, right? Or passcode right. to unlock it. They're, they're bypassing your code to get the secret key. With Even with the Trezor, I don't believe you get access to the secret key. I believe that you tell the device mm. that you're authorized, but the secret key... Signs that the, the transaction is actually signed by the hardware itself on the USB dongle, so it never crosses into the computer. It only receives a transaction ID and then returns an encrypted response. Gotcha. So you're never actually seeing, even as the owner of the device, you're never actually seeing the secret key. But this kid found a way to do it on the ledger. Right. Gotcha. That's the key right there. Ah, I see what I you did there. Ah. Ah. <laughs> And now, fair warning, I have fair warning. I have a doom and gloom article that I've been keeping hidden from you guys. Oh, good. So oh, if you're yes. concerned, if you're concerned about time, yeah, no, we're we're, get, we're we're getting up on time here. So, but I do I do have a topic I want to touch on. Go we, on. We touched on it last week, and it's official. Call for papers for Wave PHP have been closed, and let me tell you, not closed soon enough. We yeah. have over. 300 talk submissions to go through now. Over and I've read every single one of them. Have you? I have. Uh, no, you, I have. Have you? I, upvo- I upvoted all the ones that I liked, and nice. I, saw some, I saw some very cool stuff. There's some very good ones out there, and there's some very good people submitting talks. We have, uh, we have a nice little range of, of different talks, different topics, different presenters. Uh, a lot of amazing. international people that seem to want to want you to pay to fly them to San Diego. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a disappointing conversation. I, John and I haven't really talked about how we're going to approach it, if, if we're going to offer a travel allowance and see if we get anybody willing to, to accept the travel allowance. But uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of good talks from people. Uh, there's a lot coming from Europe. There were a couple from... I think South America or, or Mexico, and there was like a few from Canada, and even Canada is a very expensive flight into the U.S. I'm actually flying up to Vancouver uh, the beginning of May. Uh, we have a developer up in Vancouver. I have some friends up in Vancouver. The guys over over at uh, Laravel uh, Slack are up there, or, or one of the guys are up there, and a, a few other people. So I'm gonna go up there and go, actually go to one of their meetups up there. Other PHP meetups, but um, but it's expensive. I mean, even though it's all North America and it's all physically connected, the fact that you're crossing an international uh, line there really jacks up the price of flights. 
So I now, don't know. I received an email that I was I was found very interesting. I want you guys to see this. I pasted this in our Slack channel. Go ahead and pop this link open and tell me if any of these talk titles seem familiar to you. Oh yeah, no. So you 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 got to keep in mind we're going to Lone Star. Go to Lone Star's website and look at the talks there in the and the presenters there, and a lot of that will sound familiar as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's what that's what speakers do. They they submit to all the conferences trying to get accepted. See, I was really surprised by how many of the people who submitted talks submitted five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different talks. Yeah, yeah. It's and and that's one of the things you got to take in consideration when you're picking talks. Is like if you see this is a talk that this pr- presenter has given. At two or three different conferences this year, do you really want them to present it again at, at your conference, or do you want to mix it right. up and maybe go for something else? And and unfortunately, well, and I, we're, we're falling at the end of the year, so like a lot of these a lot of these community conferences have already fired off. And so you know, I I was presented with an interesting question when I was reviewing all the CFPs because. I started thinking to myself, okay, is this an advanced PHP conference or is this beginner PHP conference? Is this... Yeah. Because I saw some topics where I thought, that is awesome and I want them to hit the ground running. I don't want them to start explaining what a framework is from the beginning of the talk. You know what I mean? And yeah. some of the topics were were outer space complexity, like the really in-depth, complicated stuff. And I thought, is... Are people going to want a conference that says we are the PHP Advanced Users Conference? Because there's so many beginner-level things now. Yeah, that's something I've, I've always brought up with the conference organizers is having some sort of, like, a tag on the, the talk. Is it a an advanced talk or a beginner talk or intermediary? And I, I agree with them now. It, it, putting a, a label on that makes it difficult how do you decide that and to me i think part of it is how much knowledge do you have to have of the topic before you go to the talk see i think if you're going to a php conference you know php yeah but of the that specific topic like what makes it an advanced topic versus an intermediary topic or a beginner topic so to me a beginner is you have to have no prior knowledge of what I'm about to talk about. I'm going to give you like how to install Composer, where an advanced right. talk is. You have to know what Composer is. We don't is want and, four of those talks. Right. So it, it's hard to define what that range is. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't envy the, the position that you guys are in, but I know, that, I know that if I was going to select the talks myself, it would be very, very advanced topics only. It of course. Be, it wouldn't be check out this new... JS library, or how to move from legacy to modern. Uh, I saw several, several talks that were about upgrading your legacy code base, and it's like that's a meetup conversation. That's yeah. not a well, it, but yes and no. So I, I agree, and that's part of the problem I've had going to PHP conferences in the past is having the knowledge, and then you end up in a talk, and it's like, well, shit, I really already know this. I thought they were going to go in more in depth. And that's why I want the tag of this is a beginner or an advanced topic. But even I keep going back to that. That's still a range. And how do you know what that is? Yeah. Now, John, you you do know in our CFPs that there is that tag when the when the presenters. Yeah. But but it's how do you how do you display that to 
when we actually put the schedule up and we right that's where it gets more complicated yeah yeah it's gonna be a tough it's gonna be a tough road man i'm like i'm looking at these talks i'm looking at the people that present i mean we got close to 100 just individuals we we ended up just north of 90 individuals who submitted talks and it's just like that's so many people for there, there's there's the part of me where I'm like I'm honored that that many people submitted. Then there's reality comes in of yeah the, the, you know, they probably submit to everything so I'm nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny because we brought it up as a conversation with our little internal Diego Dev group is like you you almost you're almost tempted to say before you can present before you can submit a paper. Before you can submit a talk, you have to buy a ticket to the conference. Then if you're selected, we'll refund you your your conference ticket and fly you out, of course, and give you hotels. Because like part of me is like I really only want to select people who are actually interested in coming to this coming to this conference. And it, it's hard to make that determination of people who just submit and say, Yeah, I'll go to the conference if somebody, you know, pays my way and and you know all that, you know that that's great. But I'm really like I, I want to f- try to find the people that say no. I, I'm coming to the conference. I just if I can present and not have to buy anything, that that's even even better. That's why I submitted for a couple of years after I went to my first PHP conference. Oh really? I started submitting you, so that you I would could buy go to a con- ticket. No, oh, I would, but I was submitting so that I could go to the conference without buying a ticket. Yeah, or buying yeah, a flight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Reveals and, a lot. Again, I, I appreciate, you know, it's just, it, it would be more meaningful to me to, to like, to kind of even even submit a paper, you have to buy a ticket. And, you know, it's funny, <laughs> I, I should I should look into this. Yeah, would be the laugh. first conference no, like that, I think. No, 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 you, it wouldn't. Well, it wouldn't, because I, I found out, now I don't know how true this is, because I have not, never looked into other conferences, but I had a friend of mine tell me once, and this was a Ruby developer. Uh, when I when I was talking to him about conferences, and I'm like, "Yeah, I, I wish I could be selected as a speaker because then they pay for everything." And he was like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Yeah, you, you get selected. They they pay for your flight. They pay, pay for your, pay for your ticket to the conference." And according to to him, and according to a couple other people I've spoken to since. That seems to be unique to PHP conferences. I've heard that in just about any other conference, unless you're like a keynote presenter, you're still paying for your flights, your hotels at minimum. And sometimes you're still paying for uh, a ticket to the conference at usually a reduced rate. But I, I find it a little hard to believe because everybody, like the ones who tell me this are always like flabbergasted, like, what are you talking about? Who would who would ever run a conference like that? How would you ever make money? I'm like, no, this is pretty common. He, and they were like, no, that's not common at all. But I find it hard to believe that so many other people are not doing it that way. And we in the PHP community have been doing it that way. And like that information has never crossed over. And somebody in the PHP community hasn't said, oh, wait a minute. We should stop doing this. <laughs> it probably has just been shot down a billion times. <laughs> That's true. That might be true. Everyone knows PHP is awful. Somebody, somebody's tried it and there is no submissions. <laughs> yeah, and, and that thing is like, yeah, 
you know, when the guys are talking, they're like, yeah, no, that's a great idea. You should do it. I'm like, yeah, no, we're not going to be the first ones to do it. Are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll leave that to Fabian Potentier and his highfalutin companies. That's that's right. As long as Symphony Zen, like Laraville, as long as the bigwigs are doing it this way, you've got to do it that way. All right, you guys ready for Doom and Gloom? Because this one is going to blow your minds. In any way related to my my Facebook ticket. Because I want to talk about No. That. Okay, let's talk about that real fast. We're running out of time. What are your right. what are your guys' opinions on Facebook? The the situation with Facebook. So I heard a, a story on NPR about it. Like I know that the you're talking about the fact that this one company was able to get the private information of fifty million people. And so that I that's, don't think that's one that's one part of it, yeah, for sure. So that goes back to this whole like People voluntarily taking quizzes and saying, you have access to my friends list. I don't know. I didn't see what private information they got. So that's not the problem. What's the problem? The the app was initially authorized to 250,000 users who took a quiz that was generated by a university. So we're looking at actually a 250-question quiz, a real, like, study-type behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that information, they profiled, they psychologically profiled all of the people who took the study. The issue at hand here is that the permissions on the app were so loose that it allowed the app to access posts and behaviors of friends of the people who took the study. So they ended up creating a neural net of if you're this kind of person, you have friends like this as well, and so they are but also susceptible to the same techniques. If I'm taking the... Maybe I missed this part of the story. If, if I am taking the quiz, how do I give that app access to my friend's posts? I, I often see it where It's just I, a checkbox. No. It's not no, even a checkbox. Wait, it wait, just wait, says, wait. okay. Let me, let me finish. When, I'm, when I go to log in with my Facebook account, it often says, you have access to my, my email, my friends list, and... My posts. That's only about three years old. This app was in 2006. And the issue is that once you authorize an application with a certain level of permission to your Facebook feed, it just stays that way forever. So a quiz that you took 10 years ago on Facebook still has access unless you go into your Facebook apps and block it. Oh, so it has access to my feed. That's the difference. Not right. not necessarily to my friends, but they have access to my feed, and from that they're able to see who my friends are. Well, this was posting. a looser time yeah. where it did allow access to your friends. No, not to my friends' posts. They got to my friends' posts through my feed. That's that's where it's I keep not getting, entirely clear. That's where I keep getting lost at. So now that I'm speaking it out loud, if the app had, I can give access to my feed. And from that, they are saying, okay, Thomas posted this. And I'm sure... Right. And they're mapping me in whatever Neo4j, and they're making sure they know who Thomas knows (laughs) because he knows you. And that's the issue. Now, the other issue is that this company, Cambridge Analytica, basically got ditched by the creator. The creator came out as a whistleblower and said, the shit this company I started is doing now is way underhanded. And then there were several... Uh, hidden camera investigations where Cambridge Analytica was saying, yes, we bribe politicians, yes, we use 
prostitutes for politicians. Yes, we run political campaigns that are dirty. We won Trump the election. We created the crooked Hillary catchphrase, that kind of thing. And so what they did with the data from Facebook is one thing, but what they said they do as a company is another. So they basically said... Yes, we used Facebook in a way that we were allowed to use it, which Facebook agreed with. Yes, they're allowed to use it the way we are allowed to use it. But then they also came out and said, also, we're terrible people who you always pretended didn't exist. Right. Those are only a couple aspects of the story. There's still the other aspect where Mark Zuckerberg apparently started selling off a bunch of his stock in Facebook over the last couple of weeks. And I, I actually had seen that story first before the stuff about Cambridge Analytics broke. I saw I saw a couple of news stories come across about how much stock he, Mark Zuckerberg is selling in Facebook. I'm like, wow, that's weird. Is he is he looking to you know get ousted as the as the owner of Facebook? I mean is he looking to move on? Is he looking to sell? And then like a week later the Cambridge story broke. I'm like, son of a bitch. He knew about this beforehand and started offloading a bunch of his stock before Facebook stock took a tank. Which, thankfully, it looks like he's not going to get away with because the people who did the same thing with Equifax are going to be going to trial. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it than that. The, the media has covered it pretty thoroughly in the sense that it's really a media story. Do you think the general public understands the impact? Like, do you think they really can appreciate what transpired here? No, no not at all. Yeah, I agree. I, I listened to a story on NPR, and I mean, you, you have the range of people that say, I only use it to follow my, my friends and family, and I'm not going to change. And you got the other people that say, I knew what I was signing up for when I signed up. It's a free service, and I fully expect they have access to all this data anyway. So I'm going to keep using it as I, as I always have. And, and you get all these people posting, I'm deleting my account, I'm deleting my account. I'm like, yeah, if you have an account, it's already too late. It's like, it doesn't do any it's good to delete not, your account. It's not. You thanks don't, to the you don't EU. think so? No, really? thanks to the EU, the EU has a right-to-be-forgotten law, which forced Facebook into a position where if you choose to delete your account, not suspend but delete, then they actually have to lose your data. They have to delete it, delete it, delete it. Really? Including from backups. Even even if you're not an EU citizen? Yes. Abiding by that law is uh, essential. That's why all those websites you go to say, hey, we use cookies, is that cool? Yeah. Because if you operate in the EU, no matter where you actually are, you have to have that. Mm -hmm. You're on the web. Everyone operates in the EU. I'm in Colorado Springs. So my Craigslist is cosprings.craigslist.org. What is yours? I don't know. SanDiego.craigslist.org. All right. I, I, I challenge the two of you to go and head over there right now. No. Eric, John's being obstinate. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Head over to your local Craigslist. What we're going to do is we're going to post a personal looking no, for a I'm, romantic I'm, encounter. I'm not posting anything to Craigslist. So go ahead and hop onto your local Craigslist and click on, I mean, I assume, Men Seeking Women. Is that a, is that a thing? Oh, it is. Men Seeking Women. All right. Yep. Now, what am I going to do when my wife comes to me and realizes that that's a link I clicked on? Okay. I, sure. Oh. Oh, look at that. Okay. I participated. Okay. Share. U.S. Congress just passed H.R. 1865, FOSTA. FOSTA is the... Oh boy, Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Mm. And 
this law, which was just passed literally a half or an hour ago when we started recording, makes the owners of websites or the operators of websites responsible for the activities of the uh, users on the website. Okay. So uh, we, we covered a very similar story not too long ago with, uh, what's the other one called? Backdoor, I think? or Yeah, Backdoor. Backpage. Backpage, yeah, yeah. Back I mean, I've page. heard. I've never, I have never actually been there, but I've heard about it. <laughs> but yeah, that that exact scenario where the, I think it was down in Texas, where the DA went after the CEO or the owner of Backpage and basically was holding him accountable for the prostitution that was going on on his on the website. So that's now a federal law. And in response, Craigslist has shut down all personals sections of all of its sites. Uh, Reddit itself has responded by shutting down all trading of goods or services involving firearms, ammunition or explosives, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, controlled substances, paid services involving physical sexual contact, stolen goods, personal information, or falsified official documents or currency. So the, the whole safe haven of the internet concept is basically being shut down in mass. Uh, and the EFF is very, the Electronic Frontier Foundation is very upset about this because the law is so broadly worded that even if you're unaware that this is a service being provided through your website, such as Facebook, you're still culpable. So if I were running a prostitution Facebook page and because of that, someone could sue Facebook. So how how are these dating sites dealing with this? Because I mean, couldn't they potentially fall into the same kind of scenario? Like I said, this is literally hours old information. And my guess is that over the next week, you're going to start seeing dating sites take a very active stance on this. What's a, po- what's a popular dating site? E-harmony, uh, right? that's a, that's I wouldn't a, know, but eHarmony, Plenty of Fish, OkCupid, okay Plenty of Fish, <laughs> Match. That's a, that's a good one. Match. I don't see anything. I doubt they will be updated today, but I I can almost guarantee that there will be a comment on this tomorrow. What's that one that was advertising Farmers Date or something? Oh yeah, Farmers. I think I think that was it. I think it was Farmers, farmers Only, date. right? Farmers Only. Farmers only, yeah. Only, yeah. What, what, what was the what was the what was the one cheating on your wife? What was that one called? Ashley Madison. Ashley the one I used Madison. to work for. Yeah. Really? You worked for Ashley Madison? No, I worked for LonelyCheatingWives.com. <laughs> you forgot the inflection that they put on there. Dot com. They never put an inflection. It was just LonelyCheatingWives.com. No, farmers only. He's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was talking about Yahoo. I was trying to be funny. It didn't work. I failed. <laughs> so there's not a lot of information out about this yet. It's a huge, huge bill. In It's going to need a lot of analysis to understand the implications for everything. But And, and the reality it, of it is people, people are going to find workarounds to it. Uh, this is... <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't know. that's the truth of it. Yeah, people, people all find workarounds. It's it's how we it's how we function as a, as a society. We adapt. One of the one of the big conter- concerns that the EFF has is that pages that accept content openly, such as Wikipedia, are also culpable under this rule. Yeah, it sounds pretty broad. 
they describe it as a Frankenstein bill that is the worst of both worlds. Mm. So keep your eyes out for this. It's going to be um, it's going to be a big deal, and uh, oddly enough, it would be a big deal for me probably if I were working the next week and a half. But I'm not. <laughs> you think it'll af- affect your business? I think it might. Um, how? Because I mean, you guys don't you guys don't sell services where you there's no like we sell. We sell chat services. Uh, okay. Yeah. See, it's so broadly worded that we have to worry about it. Uh, hmm. Do you want to end this on a positive note? Please. Too bad. You've listened to episode 100 of PHP Ugly. I can't believe it myself. I'm Tom Rideout. I'm John Cogden. I'm Eric Van Johnson. Keep it, Keep it ugly. ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly. And a special thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then you want to reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Links and show notes from this episode of PHP Ugly can be found at www.phpugly.com. You can follow our hosts on Twitter. You can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Play Podcast, or SoundCloud. If you like what you hear, then please leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, keep it active.